Welcome back to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. This will be episode two with the one and only Dr. Pulo. If you have not yet heard the first part, go back and give part one a quick listen. Without further ado, please enjoy part two. Going with change, going with change. Since you mentioned that, I got to bring up the new big player in retail, Amazon. Okay. So how do you think Amazon's going to now kind of impact that the retail pharmacy setting now that it's uh, come into play? Because obviously anything Amazon touches, everything changes. Sure. Always. You know, I mean, I think that as of right now, Amazon has not been as problematic as a lot of people thought it would be. I think Amazon is going to become the product-based type of pharmacy. And that's pretty much where it'll probably stay. I I could see in the future, like people just who only want to pick up meds, you know, that they get it delivered through Amazon. And what will happen, and we're already moving in this direction, right? That like the profit is not really happening as much from the product-driven mindset. And so we're moving into this more professional-based mindset of we have to provide some kind of service that gets reimbursement and that's the sustainability. And so I think as the cost of medications uh, goes up and the mar- profit margins get smaller and PBMs kind of have all these you know things that they're doing that drive that profit margin even down further, you're going to see places like Amazon being able to pick up kind of that dead weight because that's ultimately one day I think what it's going to be. It's going to be dead weight. It's not going to make you money. The money is going to be made in the services that pharmacists can ultimately provide. And that's really where we're moving. Okay. And I do see that happening a lot with, as far as I feel, additional services are being added on, whether it's in an ambulatory care setting or to a community like retail setting, whether it's like a mini clinic is added on to it. So do you think as far as retail pharmacy, um, whether or not, since you're saying you don't think Amazon would really put a big stake into it and change or impact retail in in a significant way but can you see in the future how retail pharmacy could be changing do you think it could be more of a ambulatory care type setting where you'll be doing managing a lot of chronic disease states and doing a lot more counseling where maybe there'll be a way to um get lab values in a community setting because you know once they get discharged they come to you so it only makes sense for you to have lab values and be able to maybe start managing chronic disease states and do a lot more counseling or like where, where do you kind of see the future of community or retail pharmacy heading or mm-hmm. other services that that um that they could do? Right. I, I think you, Jevin, hit it right on the head. I mean, ultimately, this is where community pharmacy is heading. We're the most accessible healthcare provider, right? Hands down. I mean, no part, no other healthcare provider can you literally just randomly walk up to and have immediate access to or pick up the phone and that that healthcare provider is the person who picks it up. Right. Any other thing you go through triaging lines, you have to make appointments, you can't just show up. And so we need to like take advantage of that. And I think we already are starting to see the movement to that, right? With test and treat now finally on the bills here in Florida, collaborative practice agreements happening, consultant pharmacists being able to order lab values as it is. Like all these bills kind of are have recently come to the surface and have finally been uh, approved. 
And so now the question becomes, okay, well, how do we implement it? And what does it look like and feel like? And I guess the biggest question is, how does it help to make money? Because it has to be sustainable, right? Like it can't just be free services. Otherwise, we're doing exactly what we're doing now. Yeah, uh, yeah. That there has to be some kind of incentive on it. And, you know, I think that there are lots of factors at play that are happening that would allow pharmacists to take advantage of that. Um, I don't know that immediately we'll get into the idea where we can directly bill for these services. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I think that's the goal, right? But yeah, I, I foresee like you being able to go into your pharmacy and who you have a relationship with, you know, this person, it is your healthcare provider. And that, that pharmacist has an agreement with this physician or this physician group where they can basically monitor this person's disease state of high blood pressure or high cholesterol, right? I am yeah. more than capable and trained to be mm -hmm. able to properly interpret like a, a cholesterol panel. And yeah. the ordering is really nothing more than me pushing a button on a computer and sending it over to LabCorp or Quest. So certainly it's not training or pump um, the ability to interpret it correctly that holds us back. It's, you know, the law. Mm -hmm. So if there was one thing you would like to see change, what would be the one thing that you think would be the most beneficial? Would it be those lab values? Would it be um, different services? What would you like to see added on? Like the first, the first thing, what would be the first thing you'd like to see added on? Be well, more like prescribing authority, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I really think the first thing, I, if, if I'm breaking this down step by step would be like some yeah. form of uh, provider status to be able to bill. Like okay. that is the single biggest hurdle is how do we pay for these services and make them beneficial? So if, if that was not an issue and, I'm, and we're talking about, well, what is the one thing that I'd love to do and see immediately? Yeah, mm -hmm. it'd be the idea that I could just manage basic ambulatory disease states, high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes that are non-complicated, right? Because I'm also recognizing there are limits to the scope yeah. of practice that we can do. Um, so in no way, shape or form am I trying to say I'm trying to take away something from somebody. I'm not trying to diagnose or any of that, but I mm -hmm. medication expert. So when it comes to managing somebody's basic diabetes without any complications, I think that it's pretty reasonable to say, yeah, I can renew your metformin for you, order your A1C, do instant glucose test readings. And if you're having problems with your metformin, right, ADA guidelines are pretty specific and like obvious about, okay, well, what's the next step of therapy? I don't think that, you know, that requires always some really high high level uh specialty like endocrinology to come in and say oh well only i can manage that they, yeah. they they have so much on their plate and so does primary care that these patients can't even get on on time so then they're not compliant with their medications and when they do get in it's such a rushed visit so then they don't really understand the value of the a1c i talk to so many patients that have no idea what that a1c means and really talking about getting it to goal outside of taking the medications. I don't think we're doing as good of a job as a nation of talking about all of the lifestyle modification factors. One uh, of the I yeah. am really, really proud of is I have a, a subset of patients that I have been able to help get them down to lower doses or get them off of certain medications. And I know that's very like shocking because we think, right, that's our profit. Yeah. But I think that's where we need to go. 
is to say, you know what, like I see you so often, I can, I can influence you to make good healthcare decisions. I want to get you off of some of these medications. And to do that, like you and I have to work together. And I see you every single month. So I can monitor you really, really easily. And every three months, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, I'm going to order your labs and you're going to come in for a quick consult and we're going to mm-hmm. talk about it. And I've got all your pharmacy records and be able to help manage that. Like that is not an unreasonable request. And I think people want that. It's easy. It's convenient. It's cost effective. It will result in better outcomes. And, and I'm, again, I'm preaching to the choir because I know we're talking to pharmacists, but yeah. <laughs> there, are, yeah. there are study after study after study out there that show that when you have pharmacist intervention into mm-hmm. basic ambulatory care settings, that the outcomes 99% of the time come out better than if we just left it alone to primary care because primary care is overwhelmed and we need to free them up so that they can be doing things at the top of their license and seeing complex disease states and uh, you know patients who have uh, acute issues that they need to get in quicker for not like the bread and butter visits of them just coming in like to yeah. renew medications for a patient who is stable on their blood pressure medication for the last three years mm-hmm. like that's where i think pharmacy needs to be and just just a personal interest what would you say is the number one chronic disease state that your patients are not well informed about would it be diabetes that you mentioned cholesterol asthma diabetes hands down 100 percent. okay yep and and i think again you know a lot of studies show this right we can present all the basic data and talk to patients about microvascular and macrovascular complications and Mm -hmm. if if more patients were informed one would have to ask the question well, why do we have so many complications happening even today with all of the information out there? It's because that's those patients just are not get, getting it in the way that we need them to get it. And and again, I, hopefully in this podcast, we've talked about some of the reasons why just the setup and the nature of pharmacists allows them to be more integral into getting them to get it. Definitely. And that's something that I think would be an exciting time an exciting moment for pharmacy if that could get approved the prescribing authority and then also having community pharmacy be integrated with hospital um lab values and whatnot or be be able to have like a collaborative practice agreement in order to do that because like you said through my experience on rotations it's it is so challenging for these for the patients that i come across for them to get a visit with their physician especially now through covid Right. where it was so much easier for them to come to the pharmacy and discuss something with us than it is to go and try to get a visit. And then if they have problems walking or different issues and they have to go through everything, they have to wait um, only a certain amount of people in the building, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just so many different challenges. And this is something that would definitely free up the primary care burden and something that could benefit everybody's, I think all aspects of the profession, all healthcare professionals, it's a benefit. And then also definitely a benefit for the patient, which is, you know, our number one goal is to always service them. So it's, it's something I agree with. I hope to see it, <laughs> but, um, you know, we can only wish, we can only wish for right now, but hopefully, hopefully some change will occur to free, to make that happen, to definitely make that happen. Well, and... on, on that note, I'm just, I want to do a quick little plug. Um, use the term wish, but hope, right, is, is quite the same. It's synonymous to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Obama that said hope is a poor strategy. 
So, you know, I think this is why it's so important for people to be involved in political advocacy and mm-hmm. helping to engage and mobilize patients to like be part of the process of saying, I don't even think patients know about this kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes, that there are so many, I'm not even talking about like uh, federal senators and reps. I'm talking about yeah. our state senators and state representatives that they're the ones that are making these decisions that impact what we can do right here in our backyard. And it's patients mm-hmm. that have the ability to reach out and say, hey, like, this is what we want. Like when these bills come up, like we need to be mobilizing people. And so, you know, I, I certainly hope, but more than hope, I really hope that people hear this and say, yeah. okay, now I see why we need to take action because there's a lot of students listening. And so yeah. I would like to think that most students want to have a better landscape that they're entering into. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happens. You know, change doesn't just appear in your favor. You know, you have to manipulate the variables to help push it in the most favorable way. And that's, and, that's what I think is, is needed. No, you're right. And that's something that I'm honestly not very well educated on. So I'm going to ask you, do you have any resources or anything to help educate us on uh, as far as like political advocacy for our profession, for myself and other other people that are listening? Well, I think the easiest thing is to join the FPA right? Florida Pharmacy okay. Association. Like that is the, the easiest and most simplistic thing. And for a student, it's like next to nothing to join. Like mm-hmm. getting in and at least getting informed, networking and understand because they're our biggest right advocacy group locally, right? We've got APHA, but that's more federal and national. But here mm-hmm. in, our, in our home state, it's FPA that's doing you know some of that work. And so getting involved with that, and especially as a student is so amazing because once you kind of start knowing these people as a student, it's very easy to, to move into some of these committees that have influence on that, that interact with the Board of Pharmacy to kind of dictate, okay, well, what does our practice look like day to day that changes some of these statutes and regulations? So I, I think if I was going to leave, because we could go on and on about all the different yeah. ways of being <laughs> but the singular, singular, most important and easiest thing to do is connect with FPA and say, okay. I have a desire to create change. And that's where I think it is the first step. I love that because I think a lot of students kind of share this feeling of like law and policy being very daunting to get into, especially as a first year student, we took a law class and everyone was like freaking out. And it was like, they threw all these statutes at at us and we were like, I don't know how to read this. I don't know what this means. So I think just uh, simply joining FPA and just getting like, a small, you know, you kind of, kind of like, as you join FPA, you can kind of take what you want out of it. Okay. So I think that's a really good bit of advice because to me, like I'm a, I'm a PAC chair for SSHP at our campus, which is a policy advocacy chair. So I myself have been like trying to get more involved with that as well. So just like joining FPA, I think that was a really good little piece of advice for students to take just to kind of get you know, to start somewhere at least with learning about like the law. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's two-sided. I get it. FPA could probably do a better job of creating awareness and presence of themselves to students. Um, You know, they're voting for a new president. So we'll have a new president, which may, I don't want to be like a spoiler alert, but maybe somebody that's affiliated with the university. And so hopefully (laughs) uh, we'll be able to, yeah, I know, right. Pin drop. 
not a mic drop, <laughs> just a pen drop moment. <laughs> so hopefully um, we can be whispering in the person's ear to make that change because I, I agree. I think we need to call out what it is. Um, yes. it, it's not been as vocal of a group to students um, as it should be. And so I think that's certainly an area as we look at ourselves and say, as a profession, what could we do? That's one thing we could do is meet y'all in the middle. Definitely. Rachel, do you want to ask um, our next question? Yeah. So I guess me being a second year student now, and I've kind of learned. So I know the first year of the curriculum is like more community. And then now we're kind of focusing on hospital. So in terms of just like the legacy of like students coming in behind us, and I know you interact a lot with the one PD students um, at our campus. So what would be your best advice to give to a pharmacy student interested in becoming a pharmacist? I would say the best, if I was going to leave one piece of advice, it would, you know, and, and I think I've already kind of said it during this podcast and and hopefully that the, the way that I've spoken has alluded to the fact that I live and breathe this belief system, which is like, you have to find something that you love. And pharmacy is really fantastic because it's so big, right? I mean, medicine is great too. There's lots of different specialties, but I mean, pharmacy has quite a bit that no matter what you love and what you're passionate about, uh, what your skill sets are, I think there's something for you. And so I think the worst thing that you could do is not be aware of those opportunities and kind of just blindly move forward. Because the reality is, is that the curriculum is not designed to help you find your calling, right? The curriculum is designed to give to you a skill set that you'll be able to take into the real world and be successful as a pharmacist. But it's up to you to figure out, well, what do I do really well? Because I think a lot of us move into something because maybe we're fascinated with it, right? Like I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you, for example, uh, let's say I love oncology. I love the idea of it. I'm like, oh, I want to be an oncology pharmacist. Like the things that are required for that, actually, you know, that's a bad example. Let, let me go back. That's a bad example because I was thinking I'd actually be a really great one because it's <laughs> a lot of patient and uh, human connection. Um, let's say it's like an administrator. Administrator is necessary. And some people have skill sets that are very conducive to that. And that's the whole strengths finder ideology, right? That know what you do well and then pursue something. And if you kind of blindly move forward into that, you may find yourself enthralled by the idea of it, thinking that that's what you want to do, but in fact is really not your calling because it's like you didn't live and breathe that it. it's not your natural set of skills. And so I think people, particularly students, need to find out like, what do I do really well? And then what matches up to that skill set? And then the third step is once you know that, kind of start pursuing it. You know, you got to network, you got to hustle. Like, and that's, uh -huh. that's just the reality of it. And that happens through getting involved with extracurricular activities, with organizations, um, kind of doing the legwork up front. If I was a 1PD now and I could go back in time, I would be researching what options are available for APPE rotation. Because I think a lot of people don't realize it. And then they think, oh, you know what? I'd love to work for the FDA. And so then as a 3PD, you realize, oh, there's an FP, there's a, um, um, FDA rotation. A, a, an APPE rotation with the FDA. And yeah. so you see all the stuff that's required and you're thinking, oh, crap, I don't really have any of that. 
So it would be advantageous if you knew that as a one PD and could kind of set yourself up for success to get that rotation so that you could use it to your advantage to hopefully step into that role down the road. Like that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying kind of figure out what brings you joy and happiness and passion, and then you need to pursue it. Yeah, I completely agree. That's something um, my career coach actually taught me or told me to do um, through my time with her. So that's something I, anybody that's listening, I definitely recommend you keep a running list of the things you enjoy doing in pharmacy. I don't care if it's just one drug that you, that you learned about or a disease state, or if it's just talking to people, talking to patients, whatever it is, anything pharmacy related. And then also keep another list of all the things that you like to do, or you feel that you're good at doing and try to find what career ties both of those qualities. So that way it's a sink. Your work will seem seamless. It's not going to be daunting. It's not like, Oh, I have to go into work. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. You. It's going to be something that you are truly passionate about as Dr. Kulo has been eloquently stating throughout this entire episode is that you want to be passionate about what you do. And if you can align what you're good at and what you like to do with what you're interested in, then that will happen and everything will just fall into place. hundred percent. Yep. You took the words right out of my, my mouth. That's exactly it, Jovan. And I think yeah. that's kind of the, the simple, like, strategic plan to happiness. Yeah. Because, again, life is really short, and it would really suck to have to do something for this short amount of time that we're alive that you can't look back down the road and think, gosh, I really hated the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, because ultimately that's what is happening as we do things that we're not in love with. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's funny you actually say that because um, during one of my residency interviews, I actually talked about that. <laughs> yeah, it was like we had to do a presentation on ourselves. And it was like one of one of my like biggest issues is like feeling like there's not enough time. And I don't want to feel like um, because our time is so limited here, I never want to feel looking back on my deathbed that I regret the decisions I made, not doing things that I love to do. So I always try to embody doing things that I'm truly passionate about or things that I truly care about because I don't know how long I'm going to live. Absolutely. And I'd rather not waste my time or spend my time doing things that I don't truly care about because then I'm not using my gift for its true calling or its true purpose. Totally. Well, well said. I feel like, I feel like we, um, you know, it's a Monday that we're recording this and it's a Monday that this, this is true. released. This is like a motivational Monday on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I, I feel like we we really came back to the core of what we were talking about that, you know, pharmacy is is a great profession and basically it's it's this thing that allows us to be happy. And like that is what career is, right? And so for me, pharmacy is kind of this platform that allows me to experience joy and happiness on a daily basis, whether it be through interacting with students and feeling like I'm inspiring people to grow and develop and do something with their life, Um, whether it's interacting with patients, building these relationships, having people be intimate and vulnerable with me and um, trusting me. And that is really, at the end of the day, more than I could ask for in this life. Definitely. And all right, our our last question, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. This is going to be a fun one. Okay. You can, it's going to be, you could answer either one. What would be the one profession you would never want to do? Or what is another profession that you would like to do, but it, but not ambulatory care pharmacy? So it's kind of it's close to um, retail. So what would you do that's not ambulatory care, 
or what is something you would hate to do or never do? Now, that's actually super easy. So I could tell you if I was not doing this, and I swear in another life, I'm probably going to come back and do this, is I would be like a travel blogger. <laughs> Literally, that would be I, I could see that. Is people just pay me to travel the world and blog about it and figure out how to find inspiration around the world, you know, and bring it back. I'm still not convinced that this won't happen in my life. Um, <laughs> I, I go back and forth <laughs> all the time. I'm like, should I be creating like a travel blog? You know, because I, I think love travel I, for those who don't know me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of doing that now with like a food blog. So this is like kind of on the same page, but I actually got inspired to do that because a lot of my friends told me I should, I should, but the, I remember reading a random article about a guy who I think he was American and he moved to Europe. Or no, he didn't move to Europe. He just traveled a lot in Europe. And because he traveled so much, people always asked him about like, oh, where should I go for like a good meal? Or where's a great place to go if I want to date with my significant other or whatever, whatever. So he decided to just randomly create an app because so many people were asking him stuff and he was getting tired of texting them. So he created an app and then he turned that app into his business. And now that's his job. Like he quit working. He just travels. And he has an app where it's, I think it's subscription-based. I don't remember the name of it, but I think it's subscription-based. And it just tells you like anywhere you want to go whenever you're in London, like what are you looking for? Like, you know, if you want sites, if you want a certain type of restaurant, if you want this, that, and the third, like, oh, this is where you should go in the Netherlands or this is where you should go in Norway. And just because he traveled so much. And I was like, oh, that's a genius idea. Yeah. So you could do something like that, like including the USA or everywhere. I think his is only Europe though. I don't think it's everywhere. Hmm. Yeah, that would be that would be my ideal um, job is to get paid to just travel the world. I mean, you'd be one of those people that like to eat at restaurants for free because somebody wants you to do a review about it. Yes, (laughs) that's my goal. The persona, like that, I would watch you on TV if you were like a travel blogger. I would totally like watch your show. (laughs) (laughs) I could see it. You know who I want to be? I want to be. What's the guy? He was in um, The Devil Wears Prada. Um, he just came out with a new show where he's touring Italy. Um, Stanley. I'm to look it up. Uh, yes. Yeah, Rachel's going to look it up. Stanley something. Stanley. Tucci? Who is that? Adrian. T-U-C-C-I? I don't know. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Stanley Tuchet. So he okay. just came out with this new show where he's literally going around Italy and interacting with all these people about Italian food. Oh, I love like, that. That is what I need. Or Zach Efron yes. traveling the world, learning about like how people are going green around the world. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. You know, he, I watched his first episode and he goes to Iceland and he's literally been in the exact spot that I had been because I went to Iceland a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I, I should have just had a film crew with me. Like, because <laughs> people well, now you know. Time, I look like the Property Brothers. And I'm like, okay, that tells me like I should also be um, on TV. So this is it. I just need to, we just figured it out, Joe and, and Rachel. <laughs> uh, my ne- my next move is to do something on TV about travel. I love it. No, I lo- I absolutely love it. I 100% watch and support that because it is going to be fabulous TV. That's that is for sure. That's it. Yep. And and bringing um, super soul conversations around the world. Yes. Oprah's got yes. it in the backyard in Maui. I'm going to take it out on the streets to the world. That's what we're going to do. I love it. I love it. I'm in support. Me be like hey <laughs> I'm, I'm calling to like chat with you uh that would be the dream which that i would be awesome. another question you weren't going to ask me who i want to meet but that's who i want to meet 
<laughs> no, I'm, I could see that. You do love her. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, that was it for the questions that I have. Rachel, did you have any questions for Dr. Pula? No. Yeah, I think we covered everything. It was really good. Yeah, this is right. fun. We went way past my past the uh, time that I was thinking we were going to go to. Um, so yeah, see what happens. We just get too chatty with each other. We do. And now, we do. This is like over an hour podcast. I hope people listen to the whole thing because the ending really is worth it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we might have to chop it up because we notice our audience likes thirty minute episodes. We might have to break it up. I was going to even even myself. I go with like after thirty minutes, my mind starts wondering. So yep. Yeah, we'll probably have to chop it. Up. Did you have any questions for us? Uh, no, other than I did notice Rachel had her cat, and I was wondering what the name of the cat is. <laughs> okay, so I have three right now because my mom, like, she was moving around. Like, she was in the Air Force, so she was moving around a bit, and she was like, hey, just, like, take the other cats for a little bit. So the big fluffy one you saw earlier is Lulu, and then her sister is Twinkie, and then I have my own cat, Onyx. So it's, like, a big mix, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you're literally like temporary cat lady right now. Yes. <laughs> yep. I love cats. Um, my spouse is not the biggest fan of cats. And so um, since I don't do the cleaning in the house, I don't get to make the rules about cat hair and stuff in the house. So <laughs> we don't have a cat. But yeah, in another lifetime, I'm also going to come back with a cat. Mm-hmm. Tra- That's it. I'm traveling the world with my cat. I like yeah. it. It'll sell. Exactly. Full globe. Uh, that'd be amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna write. You know what? I'm writing um, TLC and asking them to, to do this show. This is good. Stuff. Ooh. All right. I like it. All right. Cool. Well, now that we've solved um, entertainment's missing link and <laughs> solved all of the dilemmas that students face and what they're gonna do with their life. And then we also yep. solved what is going to happen with the profession and how to get yes. uh, involved in advocacy. I think mm-hmm. we've come to some really good realizations. Yeah. I think the world is in a better place now. I think so, too. Now we just got to get everybody to listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kulo. Rachel and I greatly appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, definitely, once again, the first time we connect. Yes. First time interviewing ever was speechless. So big credit to you. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot, especially coming from you, Rachel. You did fantastic. Yes. Natural. I feel like I may want to like just jump in on y'all's next podcast or something and pre- like pretend to be a student. And just Do um, actually, maybe if, if you want to let us know, I think the, the next episode we're actually going to. Sean and I aren't sure yet, but we're either going to talk about like imposter syndrome or we're going to talk about our residency experiences. Okay. Oh my gosh. So that was, I, I feel like maybe I could be a regular guest, you know, like, yeah, well, I mean, we've, we've been, been wanting guest. one. So we oh would God. love for you to be our first regular guest. Okay. That would be so fun. That would. Okay. All right. All right. See, well, we'll was, schedule this out. The challenge will just be the whole, hopefully it won't take two months to like, read. <laughs> That's the hard part, but I'm actually off my next rotation. So that might actually be doable. Okay. All right. Yeah. Me we'll up. be in touch. All right. So good talking with y'all. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank Have you. A great you too. Bye, y'all.